0: Okay, can hey, we you bow your heads with me so I can pray for us? God, we, uh, we, man, we come before you, we, str- we admit that we struggle. We struggle to open your word, we struggle to open our hearts to your truth. So tonight we ask that you would just humble us now as we submit to all that it speaks to us for life and godliness. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, we all said, Amen. All right, well, we are starting a four-week series through prayer, so you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to just be stepping through what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer over the next four weeks. Uh, If you're new here and you have a device, um, you can go to the English Standard Version. That's the version that we use here at the church. Here's our main point today as we get into just the very beginning, the sort of the tip of the Lord's Prayer. Our main point today is this in regards to prayer. um, And it's this, prayer is how we know God as father and receive his fatherliness with childlike dependency. And that really is going to be the crux of, of where we go today because really when the topic of prayer comes up, man, I'm telling you, it's a struggle, isn't it? Like everybody's first thought, if I sit down and I say, well, tell me, you know, how's the prayer life going? And, and what we uh, what we typically hear is, you know what, I, I need to pray. I know I need to pray. And if it's not that, it's I know I need to pray more, right? Right. Um, Few of you have, uh, you know, uh, few of you probably have like what I would call a prayer Fitbit, right? Like strapped around your 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 wrist, and you know, you got ten thousand prayers logged in at the end of every day, and you're like just this prayer warrior. You know, you guys have probably heard that term used for people that just go after prayer, and they're prayer warriors. And you kind of are always thinking like, I am I am not a I am not a prayer warrior. You know, I'd be more like a you know, a prayer, you know, I'd be like a prayer board game player. You know, I'm just, I'm not, I don't have that, I don't really have that devotion to prayer like I know I should. And for most of us, prayer can, can be a little, um, you know, it, it can feel a little agonizing, isn't it? Like if you think about what it is to pray and you think about those moments where you're, you know, you're sitting in silence and you're trying to talk to God and your mind is wandering in a thousand different directions, um, It it kind of pulls us back and it it, it allows us to push back against prayer. Um, We don't pray is really what's going on in in the American church is we're not prayers, but we know we should pray. My question for us, and I hope we can answer this a little bit tonight, is why should you want to pray? Um, Have you ever asked yourself that question? I know I should pray. Well, why? Why should you want to pray? And if you were asked that question, would you even know how to answer that question? Why should you want to pray? Uh, Most of us would say, well, I I guess it's because we're supposed to. Um, I guess it's because the Bible says we should. Uh, Maybe it's because praying is what Christians do. So in a a lot of ways, we we have this sort of this weird knowledge that we know we should pray, but we're not sure why. And because of that, this is what happens to prayer, okay, for us. Prayer becomes kind of a a line item in our Christian to-do list up there with, you know, Bible reading and tithing and serving and sharing our faith. It's something we know we should do, we even maybe have the desire to do it, but whether it's actually happening is up for grabs because chances are it's probably not happening the way that it should happen. And what we're going to see today is that when Jesus talks about prayer, he doesn't really focus on the act of praying, but on the object of our prayers. All right, which is God the Father. So what's interesting for us is we start thinking about prayer. Sometimes just the, the focus of it being this discipline and this act for us is actually what bogs us down in it. Um, because really, anytime we focus on the discipline of something rather than the object of that discipline, um, we, we kind of realize at that point it's an indicator that we've kind of lost our love for the object a little bit, Right? Um, there's, uh, there, there's a lack of love rather than a devoted delight if we're focusing on the thing to do rather than the thing it's supposed to be focused on. Here's what I mean. Last week, I, uh, man, I got to sit down with, with one of my favorite people in the world. And some of you guys are thinking, wait, was that me? Because I remember you sat down with me. Um, and and the reason, here's what's interesting. The reason why it was a joy, it wasn't because I just got to talk. And I love to talk, right? But the reason why hanging out with this dude was so amazing was not because I got to talk, but it was because I got to talk to, to him. It, w- it was because of him, right? Like if I would have shown up at the meeting and then got a text, and my boy would have said, hey, I'm out, something came up, I can't be there. Like I wouldn't have just like sat there and talked into the air and thought, well, this is it's all I needed to do. I just wanna talk, as long as I can talk, I'm experiencing what I wanted to experience. He had to be there for the conversation to have any meaning, right? For there to be any joy, in the meeting, for there to be any life, for there to be any enrichment, right? And that's a lot like prayer. If it, if it lacks God as its focus, it's impersonal. And when things are impersonal for us, they tend to become improbable for us at the same time. And that's really what we're going to see here as we dive into the Lord's Prayer. In his book, The Praying Life, which is a great book, I'd recommend it to all of you. A guy named Paul Miller, he's the author. He makes this profound but simple statement that deals with the problem of prayer in our lives. And he says, many people struggle to learn how to pray because they focus on praying, not God. So I, I don't know if you guys have been through Bible studies or you've been at churches where they've done a series through prayer. And before you know it, you just got like, you know, you got all these tips and these tricks. And, you know, I'm going to wake up and it's, it has to be at like 5, 11 a.m. And, you know, at certain times of the day, i got to get on my knees like Daniel did. And, you know, I'm going to wear a t-shirt that says Prayer Warrior. You know, i got my coffee mug. That's gonna, every time I tip it, it's going to remind me I need to pray again at the bottom. And, like, you know, we do these things and it's like, well, I, I mean... <laughs> Like at some point, that's going to be exhausting, and I'm probably not going to be praying because the focus, again, is on prayer, not the object of my prayer, which for us needs to be God, okay? And that's, that's really sort of the direction we want, to, we want to go tonight. We want our focus as we think of prayer, as we think of what prayer is supposed to be, we want our focus to be on God, the object of our prayer. Not on prayer. Because you know what? We're given freedom for what prayer as an act is supposed to look like. And we're going to see Jesus open that up for us uh, in his Sermon on the Mount. So what is prayer then? Let's just start there. What is prayer? The best definition I've heard outside of scripture is by a guy named Tim Keller. And he says this. He says, prayer is the only entryway into genuine self Knowledge. Probably never thought about prayer like that. You mean prayer is a way that I actually know myself better? And then he goes on to say, It is also the main way we experience deep change, the reordering of our loves. Amen. I read that. I was like, I never thought of prayer like that. And then he says, Prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things He has for us. Indeed, prayer makes it safe for God to give us many of the things that we most desire. It is the way that we know God. The way we finally, get this, treat God as God. And then he finishes by saying, prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. I mean, really, TK? The key to everything we need to do and be in life? And yet we're so casual when it comes to prayer. But again, if we take what Tim Keller says, prayer is how we know God as our father and receive his fatherliness with childlike dependency. Now, before we dive into the text, and we are getting to the text, nobody here is prayerless, okay? Let's just set that up for ourselves as sort of a working model. Nobody here is prayerless. You, you all pray at the altar, of someone or something, right? There's somebody, there's something that is grabbing and grasping at and taking all of your devotion and attention. There's someone who is getting your fears, who is taking your anxiety. There's something or someone that you are laying that onto, whether it's a person or an object or a hobby or ESPN.com, I went there, you know, or, or whatever it is. Right There's somebody that's taking that, and it, you're putting it all on that person. There's somebody that you are communicating your hopes and dreams to. And maybe you think, well, no, I mean, I just don't communicate like that. It's not what I do. I'm not emotional. I don't let those things come out of me. Well, then, really, you're just somebody who relies on yourself then. So yourself is getting the, the brunt of that. Um, but it's going somewhere, which is really interesting to think about as we, as we learn here from Jesus, who, by the way, was the best prayer We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Jesus himself is the model for somebody who should be and needs to be praying and for which it is so vital for our life and our flourishing with how we know and how we understand God and ourselves. It's strange that Jesus prayed, isn't it? The God of the universe, the creator of all things. He prayed. Well, let's dive in and see what he says here. Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to go back a little bit because Jesus starts a little bit on the negative. Before we get into his actual model of prayer, we're going to back up to verse 5 because he tells us a little bit about how we aren't to pray. He gives us kind of a negative here, and he says in verse 5, he says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. In verse 6 he says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you do pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles or the the unbelievers do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. And then this is his prayer. He says, pray then like this in verse 9. Our father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we're going to take the next few weeks and step through that for our purposes tonight. We're going to be dealing with verse 9. And so really, there's really three things we're going to look at as we focus on God as Father. Not on praying, not on the act of praying, as much as focusing on God as Father. And one is that if we pray to God as Father, if we understand that who we're praying to, God being our Father, it's going to change, number one, how we approach God. Secondly, it is going to call out our misconceptions about who God is in our minds and in our hearts. And third, it's going to confront our awe of God. And that's what I think this first verse here, verse 9, does for us if we understand praying to God as a father. Where he says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So Jesus kind of starts, as we went back to verse 5 there, he starts with the negative by telling us that true prayer, all right, is not some outward display of spiritual showmanship to gain the praise of others. Or to actually manipulate God. Neither of those things is what prayer was designed for. But we can have the tendency to slip and fall back into prayer being that in our lives. He points out even the ludicrousness of that by saying, here's the thing. When you pray for things, when you lay requests before the Lord, he already knows what you need before you pray it. So what he does is he provides a model for how to pray that puts the emphasis on the one we're praying to. And what's interesting about this is that when the disciples asked him, if you go to Luke 11, this passage is mimicked, where the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. How do we do this? And the reason why they're asking him is because they saw him as being a model of prayer. They saw Jesus actually praying. Jesus thought prayer was vital, not only for us, but first for himself. Jesus was a prayer. And so he gets into verse 9 here, and he says, pray like this right, so what the Lord's prayer, what is, which is what it's commonly called. He's not really giving us a prayer to mimic. Okay, it's not that we can't pray this prayer, and there are times when we should pray this prayer. Right, so it's a good thing for us. We want to take this prayer, want to recite this prayer. That's a good thing. But this prayer serves more as a model, uh, not something just to mimic. Again, he doesn't say pray this. He says pray like this. Right. So some of you love you know things like. Uh, you, know, you love owners, man. Anybody like love reading owners' manuals? You're one of those guys. Her, yeah, Sarah. You you love like instructional. You love like instructional DVDs. You're like the guy that like gets the car and goes. I don't even get in that thing and turn the key until I read through the owners' manual. I have no idea, you know, how you people function, but. Um but some of you love those kinds of things. And um, this is not what this is. This isn't, really, this, isn't, this isn't really just an instructional DVD that we can take and we can just kind of ritualistically go through it, right? Um, because really, you know, when you read an owner's manual, you're, you're receiving information to give you control over the thing that you purchased, right? That you're, that you're gaining information on. Prayer is kind of the opposite. And this is why it's hard for us, and this is why we struggle in it. Prayer is the act of actually giving control over to somebody, over to God, over to the object of our faith who controls all things. And so that's kind of the rub that we have. Even when we come into this passage in verse 9 where we have to uh, come before the Lord and say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. But if we understand God as Father, it's going to change our approach to God. Because when he uses the word Father here, he's really just saying parent. That's really what it means. It means parent. And and, and this is the first place that Jesus directs his disciples' focus. You you notice that? He says, pray like this, our Father in heaven. What Jesus is doing here is he's making prayer a personal discourse, right? He's making prayer a personal discourse with God as Father. He's using intimate language. God is a Father, and the image here that we want to really, really tap into is of a child approaching a parent in complete and total dependence, with the confidence that they're going to be loved, they're going to be listened to, they're going to be nurtured, and they're going to be known. Now, I mean, earthly fathers fail, right? Like, we don't get all of that. We don't get, like, the wide-orbed uh, fulfillment of that in our earthly fathers. Um, often, we, we get different things. You know, some of us may have had bad experiences with our dad. Some of us may have just had, you know, he was, he was okay, you know, um, but but sometimes we get uh, fathers that are impersonal. They can be distant. They can be absent. They can be unloving. They, at its worst, they can be abusive. Maybe this has been your experience. Or maybe you just have the experience where you just had a dad and he d- he did his best, um, but he certainly couldn't be everything, right? There, there's no one person that can encompass and fulfill all of our needs. But Jesus comes and he provides Access, kind of like Scott pointed out earlier, he provides access for us to approach God as our unfailing father. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So as children of God, it, 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 would, it would mean and it would seem that we can approach God as an unfailing father. Not just as a father, not just our experience of approaching our earthly fathers who cannot fulfill and meet every need, but as a father who is unfailing. And then in Galatians 3, 26, it says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. So again, it's this identity piece where as sons and daughters of God, now we have the privilege of approaching him as father. And what we know about that is our relationship to God as father, it comes, you know, not just out of the blue, right? It comes from our relationship to God the son. Uh, John 16 says, for the father himself loves you, listen to what it says, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. So you see the way those two things are tied together? We actually have this access to God as a loving, unfailing father because of our relationship with Christ who has that relationship with his father. So knowing Christ, if you know Christ, it means that you can know that your approach to God will be received, number one, with approval, and number two, with delight. Because this, this this is not a father who is not receiving you. Uh, with hesitation. He's receiving you without hesitation. And Christ, Christ happened to pay for that privilege and that right and that inheritance that you have to approach God as Father on the cross. We just actually sang the words when we sang before the throne. I was glad Scott picked that song this week. Um, because those words, really, if you even want to look in your bulletin, those words just speak into this idea of becoming before, coming before God as our father, before the r- throne. We can approach him because of the righteousness of Christ. So God is a father, and what that does is it changes our approach coming to him, right? Because he's a father too, he's not only a father, but he's a father who is in heaven, He's a Father who's in heaven. He's a heavenly Father. You know, sometimes you pray. Sometimes people pray and they start out by saying, heavenly Father. They they literally, that's how they greet God when they start their prayer. And knowing that God is not only a Father but a heavenly Father, you know what that does? That calls out our misconceptions about God. And what he means by heavenly here about a father who is in heaven, he's really just talking about the dwelling place of God. Where is God? Well, sure, God exists in our hearts via the Holy Spirit, but he also exists locationally in heaven. He's a father who is in heaven. And what that says to us, what that says to us about where God is, it says that he is someone who is able to meet our needs in ways that no earthly father can. It says in Psalm 103, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens. And like the things that God establishes, right, they're not like the things we established, right? So like we established this stage and like in an hour it's all going to be like tucked, like it's, there's nothing permanent about the things that we do. But when God established his throne in the heavens and it says in his kingdom rules over all, it's everlasting, it's impenetrable, it doesn't shift. And so what that tells us about God as Father is He's Father, but He's also transcendent. He's above. He's beyond the limitations that we experience with one another in this world, with ourselves in this world, with earthly fathers in this world. So when we say our Father, the beautiful thing about that, the truth of that, the richness of that is that it speaks to the nearness that we have of God. But when we say our Father in heaven, it reminds us, That this is also someone who knows all and lacks nothing. Only a Father God who knows all and needs nothing can perfectly know us and supply our lack. An earthly Father can't do that. And for some of us, it's been damaging. It's been damaging. But God, our Father in heaven, we're talking about somebody who has divine sovereignty. We're talking about someone with limitless ability. We're talking about a God with unsearchable knowledge who knows, who get this, knows what we need before we ask. And you know what that does in terms of how we view God? It calls us to be remembering who we're praying to when re- we pray. Remember who you're praying to. Like God is not, you know, I think we treat God like a dark horse, right? Like, you know, he did good, you know, he did good last year. I mean, there were those couple of things that I prayed for. You know, he kind of delivered a couple of wins for me, but I don't know. You know, he had a bad off season this year, and I don't know where he's heading for 2017. Like, we kind of treat God kind of like a little bit of a, a, a dark horse, right? Like, there's a chance that he's not going to deliver. Like, like, he's, like, he's the risky choice. You know, he's the guy I'm betting on, and, you know, I'm a little out, not sure, not sure where he's heading, Um, but we know that that's not true. When we search Scripture and we see that God, who is somebody who knows what we need before we ask, is always going to deliver what we need, and you know what that tells us? What that tells us, that verse tells us, is that we don't really know what we need, right? Like, we think we know what we need, and we should pray for the things that we think we need, but you know, the answers that God gives us as a Father in heaven, they're a lot of times going to go a little against what we think we need. You know why? Because we don't know what we need. We think we know what we need. Most of the time, it's what we want. But God always knows what we need, and He's never wrong about what we need. So, the care that we receive from God in the way and in the timing that He gives it to us is always right. It's always perfect. It's always right. So, God is a Father in heaven, and that calls out our misconceptions about God. And the third, God is a father whose name is hallowed. It says it right there, our father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And what this does is it confronts our awe, or, or should I say our lack of awe of God. And we think of, when we think of this word hallowed, what it really means is that we are to treat, even though God is a father, and God is a father in heaven, we also need to treat God as as holy. We also need to give him the reverence that is due him. You know what God isn't? God is not your, your peer, right? God is not a, a, a co-worker. He's not a drinking buddy. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in a lot of trouble for this one. I mean, he's not a fellow Buckeyes fan. You know, I, I had to go there on that one. I mean, he, that, that's, not, that's not the God we're, we're coming before. That's not whose throne we approach. There is a reverence due him above all others. And when we approach God... It's the same God that Scott just pointed out in Isaiah 6. It's the same God that when Isaiah saw this vision of the Lord, he thought he was going to be ruined. He said, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. He thought, I'm going to be ruined. I'm going to be flattened. I can't stand before God because of the sin that exists in me. That was the story of Isaiah when he saw that vision. I like the way C.S. Lewis describes uh, God in, in, when he talks about Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia, he says he says Aslan's not a tame lion, right? And that's how we can think about God. God is not a tame lion. He identified himself to Moses in Exodus three as I am. Like I don't know about you, but like I like to give people nicknames. Like I just call Diane Tarakis D.T. because I don't have time to say Diane Tarakis. You know, when we're having conversations together. But, um, like, n- nobody gets to say, you know, just call me I am. I mean, like, even hip-hop dudes aren't doing that, right? You know, even arrogant, like, hip-hop artists, like, aren't going there with that, right? But, like, when, when, uh, when Moses went to God and said, hey, who should I tell them sent me? And God goes, yeah, just say I am, right? I mean, that's like somebody we're dealing with that deserves our reverence and respect because he's all holy and he's all sovereign, Right? Um, in Revelation 21:16, he tells the apostle John, he says, I am the alpha and the omega, right? He said the beginning and the end. Now, some of you guys, like, some of you think you're the beginning and the end of, of like, all things, right? You, like, look at your spouse right now and, like, it's, it's her. It's that guy, right? He thinks he's the beginning and end of all things. Um, the problem with that is that everybody has their beginning and end in God, right? He's the only one that can be the beginning and the end. He is the high and lofty one, it says in Isaiah, whose name is Holy. So again, he is our Father in heaven, but his name is also hallowed. Again, that's with an A, not with an O. His name is hallowed. H-A-L-L-O. I don't know how to spell. Um, You guys get what I'm saying. But but here's, here's the thing. That's why on Sunday, um, as we come together corporately, as we gather, as we sing, as we pray together, man, we, we want our worship, all of those elements I just described, we want those, those elements to be so immersed in God. We want to glorify God. We want to be uh, involved in God-glorifying exaltation because here's the thing, we don't naturally hold God high, right? That's not our default. We naturally want to bring God down to our level, We want to be able to understand God the way we think we're supposed to understand God. Now, again, God being hallowed doesn't actually make God less approachable, okay? Because before that, we understand that he's a father, and we understand that he's a heavenly father, but the fact that he is hallowed doesn't make him less approachable. It simply gives definition to our approach to God as heavenly father. Since Jesus died... And that veil, remember, in the temple that was ripped apart between us was torn. What happens now is that we have access to God as heavenly Father. But we must always remember who it is that we're approaching. And so here's here's what I think is important for us to understand. The more we become in awe, listen, of God's hallowedness, the more we will be overcome by his fatherliness. So those two things, they can't, be, they can't be torn apart, right? They're inextricably tied together. And prayer, according to what Jesus is telling us right here, is how we know God's hollowedness. Now, I lived, what was it, babe? We lived about five hours away from the Grand Canyon for like, I don't know, how, how many, 60 years. And uh, I, n- I never went to the Grand Canyon. I, it was, like, far, four or five hours away. I never went to the Grand Canyon. So, like if, like, if you've never been to the Grand Canyon because you've been in Ohio and you never got out west or whatever it is, like, we're on the set, like, it's a level plane. Like, I'm just going to open up, the, the, you know, the brochure or the book like you or, you know, or click something on YouTube and go, yeah, I mean, that's cool. Look, you know, this you know, this canyon with the valley and the stream, it looks awesome. But, like, there's no sense of awe with that, right? Why? Because I never went there. Because Melissa used to beg me, can we just go to the Grand Canyon? I'm like, it's just like, it's just like a valley, babe. I don't, I'm not, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know, it just doesn't sound really great. I, like, can we just go get a burger instead? Like, that sounds really great to me. But, like, I can't tell you about um, everything that the Grand Canyon means to those who have seen it. Because I've never confronted it. I never confronted the Grand Canyon. So I don't have the same sense of awe as somebody who has traveled to the edge and peered. See, I'm even trying to describe it right now, and I can't. You know, who peers over the edge and sees the vast skyline, you know. And I, again, I'm just describing pictures. But, like, I can't really do that. There's no awe for it for me. Why? Because I never touched it. I never engaged with it. I never came close to it. So God is a father whose name is Hallowed. How do we understand and get a sense and a feel and a, and a touch of that hallowedness? It's through prayer. It's coming before the, the God our Father in childlike dependency. And it's only then that we're going to see God for who he truly is, which in turn reveals things about us, about who we really are at the same time. So I want to close with a couple of things. Why do we struggle with prayer? It's a worthy question, isn't it? I kind of talked about it in the beginning. Why do we struggle with prayer? I mean, it's not like he's saying, like, it's a, it's a workout routine in the morning, right? It's not like he's saying, you know, this is how you pray. Uh, you put in that P90X video, and uh, you go through that a couple of times, and then you start talking to me. You know, it, it's not something that takes physical strength. We push against it in ways that you would think wouldn't allow us to even engage in it. At the heart of our lack of prayer, like everything that we don't do as we should, as people who are, are followers of Christ, at the heart of our lack of prayer is unbelief. We don't really think it works, right? We get very pragmatic about prayer. So do you ever ask yourself that question? Why do you struggle with prayer? Why do you fail to pray? Well, part of it really... Is because of unbelief, and the reason why there's unbelief is because we're broken people. And broken people struggle with communication and relationships, which is a sign of our brokenness. Lack of prayer is really just a mark of our fallenness, which is that at the end of the day, we don't really believe we need God. Do you guys get that? Our lack of prayer is really an admittance, whether it's overt or covert, that we actually don't need God. Because prayer is something we do in childlike dependency. And you know, this breakdown in communication, it's not some new thing. It started with Adam and Eve. Remember what happened? God was walking in the cool of the day in the garden, seeking what? To hang. That's modern day vernacular. Seeking to hang out with Adam and Eve. He wanted to talk. He wanted to fellowship with Adam and Eve. So where were Adam and Eve? Well, they were hiding. Well, why were they hiding? Because they sinned. Okay? And so when God went out just to have like his afternoon walk or coffee or whatever they were doing in those times, uh, the minute they sinned, they were now ashamed to face God. Their sin had actually distorted their view of God. They were now afraid of God, right? They were afraid they couldn't approach God. They had created misconceptions about God. Their awe of God as loving Father had turned into something else, it had turned into fear. The love and the trust that they had once had in him as Lord over their lives, it it had been poisoned. It had been poisoned by pride. It had been poisoned by self-sufficiency. Many of us, many of you, have fractured relationships because communication has broken down. None None of you have bad relationships with people because communication is so awesome and off the chart, right? Like, I've never sat down with someone, and they, they said, you know, man, I'm telling you, Ronnie, I, I mean, that's all we do is talk, and we're so invested in each other's lives, each other's needs, but everything else, it's just horrible. It's a horrible relationship. Like, I've never, ever heard that, right? But it's communication breakdown, and that leads to fractured relationships. Would it be any different between us and the Lord? Now, again, it doesn't mean you don't have a relationship right? Um, it means you have a broken relationship. This is what's interesting when we, we look at this prayer, and we go to Luke 11, you know, when the disciples ask Jesus, they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, you know what, man, figure it out. Figure it out, brothers. You're wasting my time right now, and if you need me, you know where to find me. He doesn't say that. You know what else he doesn't say? He doesn't say, you know what, you guys, God helps those who help themselves, you guys know that, that that's actually not a biblical statement, right? There's no, that's not found anywhere in the Bible. It's actually anti-gospel is what that statement is. But many of you have, have probably heard that said before. Because it almost sounds right, right? Well, you know, I gotta, you know, I gotta pull up the booster. I should be doing something. God's gonna help me. He's gonna honor me. And it's No, actually, it's just the opposite. And it's interesting that Jesus, nowhere here, tells us and gives us this rote list of things to do to earn our place, to be able to approach God as Father. It's found nowhere in anything that Jesus says. Again, he's talking about dependency. This is Dependency. This is coming f- before God like a father as a child. You know what he said to do? He said, pray. That's what he said to do. He said, pray like this. He said, pray like this to God who is your hallowed Father in heaven. Now, listen. We defined hallowed as, as meaning holy and righteous, right? And, and, and it is. Like, we don't want to lose that. But here's what I want to go through really quickly at the end. What are the implications for you Serving a God, praying to a God who is Father in heaven, but who is hallowed. What does that say about God? It doesn't just say that He's holy and righteous. A hallowed Father is not merely holy and righteous. You know what else it means? Listen to this. This is what else it means. It means He's most delightful, it means He's most treasured, it means He's most enjoyable, it means He's most dependable. It means he's most gracious, most merciful. It means he's most generous. He's most comforting. He's most beautiful. He's most desirable. He's most near. He's most aware. He's most awesome. He's most capable. He's most loving. He's most patient. He's most gentle. He's most kind. So a father in heaven whose name is most hallowed is also those things. Which is why we can approach God with everything. We're not inhibited. We're not told to keep anything back. Why? Because he already knows what we need before we even pray it. So, J- Jesus is saying, Be with God. He's saying, Bring Him everything. Bring those heartbroken pleas before Him. Bring your joyful moments before Him. Bring your annoying complaints to Him. You ever read the Psalms? Bring your happy observations, bring your devastating cries, bring your thankful remembrances. Bring your alarming discoveries. Bring your aching desires before him. Bring him your fearful thoughts. God is a father who saved us from ruin because of Jesus Christ. That's the wonder of it all. That's the wonder of it all. Remember, prayer doesn't earn us access to God. Jesus earned that for us so that we can pray. To God. Turn with me to chapter 7 verse 7. I want to read this as we close. Prayer is how we know God is father. And receive his fatherliness with childlike dependency. And look what chapter 7 verse 7 says. We'll probably reference this a few more times to the series. But it says ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, and he's trying to make a point here, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? And then he says this, if you then who are evil, know How to give good gifts to your kids. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? To think that you can have a thriving relationship with God without prayer would be like thinking you can have a good relationship with anybody in your life without ever speaking to them. You can't. And you don't with God, without prayer. So we want to approach God in any way that we can. Because that's not how he's laying it out for us. You can approach God. You can do it in the morning. You can do it in the afternoon. You can do it in the night. You can do it in between all of the minutes of your day where you come before God and you bring him, yourself, Because he listens and he knows. And you're not telling him anything that he doesn't already have accounted for. It's the greatest, most delightful news in the world. That you have a God who is a father, who is in heaven, whose name is hallowed. In him, we have all things. So let's approach him and receive those things that he has for us with the joy and the confidence because he's father, he's dad. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thanks for being our dad. Thanks for being our father. Thanks for being the perfect example of an unfailing, all-loving, all-knowing, never forsaking father to us. Help us to approach prayer as we approach you as a person. As we seek to share our thoughts and our fears and our anxieties. Lord, give us a boldness to do that. Lord, don't let our lives be characterized by unbelief. Don't let our lives uh, be characterized by people who turn prayer into an empty, ritualistic exercise that makes it so we end up running the other way. Lord, we want to have our focus on you as our Father, as our Heavenly Father, whose name is hallowed. So Lord, open up our hearts to that. Change us. Don't let us live under condemnation because we don't pray as we should. There is no condemnation for us because of Christ. We have Christ's righteousness. We can go to you freely. We don't go to you as we should. But when we come to you, you are not a father who is reprimanding us, but you are receiving us, you are approving of us, you are delighting in us. Lord, help us to remember that. Lord, give us such a great love for you and for your son that we are eager to go before the throne of God. But let this be what this church is characterized by. We ask these things in Jesus' name. We all said, amen.